Good morning. So good to see you guys in the house today. So listen, I know uh, Pastor Ivan touched on it briefly. If you were here early enough to see the video announcements and we ran those really first thing, then, um, then you saw the little push for bridge groups. I just want to make one more little statement about it, and that is uh, we do the semester system here at the church, and we have never done the semester system through the summer. And so there have been some questions and, you know, how does this work? What, what's going on here? Let me explain to you the, the thought process behind that. So there is a one-month portion that's called the promo period. That's when we're just, you can sign up for groups. All of them are available to you. You can see every group that's going to meet for our location and even that's going to meet in other locations. And you have an opportunity to sign up. And then for the next three months, you meet. And that gives you, you know exactly what you'll be studying. You know where you'll be studying. You know when the group meets. And there is a definitive end date. And so the question that we've been getting is, Pastor Andrew, I love you, man. But do you, are you aware that the next three months are June, July, and August? That did occur to us. We did think about that. And so I know that some of you have vacations scheduled and those types of things. And that is a time when kids are out of school and you're thinking about slipping down to the beach or you've got vacations planned, those kinds of things. So I just wanted to let you know that for bridge groups next semester, some of the groups, we've given them the liberty to do a half semester. Some of the groups are going to meet for all three months. Some of the groups, like mine, for instance, I'm not as holy as some of these group leaders. I'm just not. And so I have a vacation planned in June. I won't be around. So what my group is going to do is we're going to meet at the end of July and then in August. And so I just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, you can sign up for those groups online uh, on the Bridge Church website or the Bridge Church app. So uh, go there, check that out. If you have any questions, sign up. Do signups do close here in a couple of weeks. And so you may be thinking, well, I've got plenty of time, but... Really, you don't. May will be over before you know it. And so, anyway, just wanted to put that bug in your... And also, because, again, this semester will be so different with it being summer and some of the groups doing half semesters, I wanted to throw that out there and let you know, if you have questions, feel free to ask, and uh, we want to get those answers to you, okay? Bridge groups is so important, not only for the Bible study component of it, that's huge, but also for the fellowship aspect of it, that, that now all of a sudden I don't feel like I'm coming to church with people I don't know. I begin to make those relationships. I begin to, to strike up those friendships. Uh, I begin to be no, known, and I begin to know people. And so anyway, for all of those reasons, I hope that you will, um, you'll check out Bridge Groups. And again, sign-ups are on the app and on the website. Well, guys, we've been in a sermon series for the past few weeks called Church Is. And during that time, we've been talking about stereotypes, the way people view the church. I didn't share this with you. Uh, I haven't shared this with you previously. But really, a lot of this sermon series has come from a Barna Research Group survey. And so George Barna, who is the founder of the Barna Research Group, he did uh, a survey, and here's what he found. The, that Out of all the people that he identified that were completely unchurched, he did a poll, and he asked them the question, why don't you go to church? And here were the top four responses. Number one, 
The church is full of hypocrites. Number two, the church only cares about my money. And so we've covered those. Number three is the church is unfriendly. And so we're actually going to cover that one next week. It can be a really scary thing to come into a church where you don't know a soul. You know, I have the most admiration. We have some University of Mount Olive students. One of them sang here today on stage, Matt. Some of them are still in the house. I know Leah's going to be running nationals, she, you know, and Daphne. And so anyway, several of you guys are still here. We love that. We love having you. But it can be scary to come into a church, and maybe you're from the community, and you've experienced that. You've gone into a church where you didn't know a soul and am I dressed appropriately? Am I standing up when I'm supposed to be sitting down? Will people be nice to me? And so anyway, that's we're going to talk about that next week. The church is unfriendly. And then today, I want to talk to you on the subject of the church is irrelevant. The church is irrelevant. That for whatever reason, there is a large contingency of people in America who have maybe tried the church out or maybe just from the outside looking in, they've looked at the church and said, no thanks, I don't see anything of value there. And when you look at the data, the data really bears that out. Not that church is irrelevant, but that people view it that way. Uh, Gallup did a survey, a Gallup survey in 2017 and guys, I just cite these surveys and this research because I want you to know you can check me out. I'm not pulling these statistics out of thin air. I saw a quote on Facebook one time. It said, it was from Abraham Lincoln. He said, 50% of all statistics are made up. So that probably wasn't right. But, but I want you to know I'm not making this stuff up. And so anyway, a Gallup survey found in 2017, 38% of adults say they attended religious services weekly or almost every week. On its face, it's like, oh, okay, well, that's pretty good. I, I don't really have anything to compare it to. That's actually down. In 2008, the figure was at 42%. So, so we've crept down some in the past few years. And all of that is down from, there was a time in the 1950s where that percentage was at 71%. 71% of people said that they came to church weekly or almost every week. So really the numbers have flip-flopped. Instead of it being 70-30 in favor of uh, regular attendance, now it's 30-70 in favor. And so, and so we've got some work to do. The, the people increasingly are viewing the church as being irrelevant. And that's had an effect on church. Uh, Tom Rayner did a survey. Again, I'm citing my source. Tom Rayner did a survey. And here's what he found. 56% of churches are declining. 56%. Now, I know you guys are smart. I don't want to insult your intelligence, but that means that they have less people this year than they had the year before. And they're declining. They're going to over half. That is horrible. That's, that's so tragic. 9% are plateaued. They're just kind of holding steady. And then in the minority, you have 35% of churches that are growing. Guys, I am so excited, so thankful, so glad to God that the Bridge Mount Olive is in that last category. We are a church that's growing. And let me just tell you, so we've been around for almost three years now. And we saw about a 12-person jump the first year. And then last year we saw about an 18-person jump. 
Just slow, steady growth. But God continues to add to our numbers. God continues to bring resources. God continues to bring people. And we're seeing lives be changed. And so all glory goes to God on that. Now, here's my promise to you. I promise you I'm not going to give you any more surveys or statistics, okay? It's because the numbers people love that. Everybody else, you're like, yawn fest. You know, you're asleep already. So here's my purpose. My purpose in giving you all of that was simply to paint a picture of what church looks like in the landscape of America. The landscape of the American church, just to give you an idea of, of what's happening in our country. But you know, the truth is, you may not have known those numbers, but you know some, something more important than numbers. You know people's names. And if you're like me, it bothers you. You know the names of people who just a few years ago, they were active in church, they were serving the Lord, they were all in. And now for whatever reason, because they've been hurt or because they've whatever, there's tons of reasons people will list and some people never give you a reason, but for whatever reason, now they're no longer active. They're no longer serving. They're no longer attending. They're no longer uh, a stalwart in the church like they used to be. And so the question that I have for you, the question I want us to think about, write down, really wrestle with, is why is it that we don't value the church like Jesus does? What is it in us? What is it in America today that makes us not value the church, the local body of the church and the capital C church? What is it in us that makes us not value the church like Jesus does? Because when we open scripture, if you, if you open your Bible, especially in the New Testament, you see over and over again that Jesus loves the church, that, that he cares about the church, that he is for the church. Ephesians 5.25 says this. Matter of fact, let's read it together. Go ahead and put it up there. Christ loved... Oh, you got to read faster, guys. This is a test. All right, we're going to read on the count of three. One, two, three. Christ loved the church. Let's just say it one more time. Christ loved the church. Jesus loves the church. I mean, really and truly, it does not get any simpler than that. He loves the church so much, so much that he laid down his life for it. He gave his very life, the most precious thing he had, he laid it down because Jesus came to establish the church. And then after he left earth, we know the Holy Spirit came and empowered believers and the apostles and the church grew and spread and but Jesus loves the church. Now, I showed you this verse last week, and I told you the context that it was in, but I know some of you maybe weren't here, and for those of you that were, this is a refresher. The context of this passage, and again, I'll tell you, go and look it up. Read it. It's verses 21 through 33 in Ephesians chapter 5. It's good stuff. But, but the, the, con, the, the connection there is... The writer is comparing Jesus' love to the church with the relationship of a husband and wife. And so the intimacy that you find in marriage, the love that you find for each other in marriage, is the same love that Jesus has for the church. Actually, Jesus gives us an example of what that love is supposed to be. 
And so what's, what's amazing is sometimes I hear people say, well, you know, Pastor Andrew, I love Jesus. I just don't like the church. You guys ever heard anybody say that? I love Jesus. I just don't like the church. What do you think would happen? What do you think would happen if I went to Dina? And I said, Dina, you know what? You are so sweet. Man, I just love having you at the church. You're one of the sweetest ladies in all of Mount Olive. But that husband of yours. Yeah, exactly. You don't know. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking about you behind your back. Now, I'm a kidder. And so if Dina thought I was kidding and joking, she, she might would, we might would have a little fun at John's expense. But if she thought for a second that I was being for real, let me tell you something I know about that woman right there. She would defend her husband. She would be all in on it. What do you think would happen if I went up to, to Wes and started talking bad about Shannon? Well, you know, Shannon's a real piece of work, isn't she? And this and that. Let me tell you something. Officer Lane would come out. Wes is a police officer. I don't know if y'all know that. He's a police officer in Raleigh. He knows some holds. And he would, he would snap something. I'm not going to talk about anybody you love. You're not going to talk about my wife. You're not going to talk about the people I love. And so, yet we say that like that that can be a real thing. Well, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. Friend, I'm here to tell you, Jesus loves the church. He is the picture of intimacy for us in our marriages and in our close relationships. And so I want to give you one more scripture just to kind of drive that home. Ephesians 1. 22 and 23. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Jesus is the head of the church. Now he is no longer on this earth in a bodily form. He, you're not going to see him in flesh and blood unless you see a post-resurrection appearance of Jesus. And if that happens, you're in a very rare minority, okay? He's not walking around. He's in heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And so the church now, and we said this last week, the church is not Jesus. The church is not a building. The church, we are the hands and feet of Jesus here on this earth. We are the bodily expression. We are his representatives to a lost and dying world. Jesus is the head. We are the body. And we all have a part to play. Let me tell you something I love. So I heard a story yesterday. Our church partnered with uh, men of FIC and a couple other organizations, and we put on the community health fair. And the Bridge to Hope mobile medical unit was out there doing uh, medical screenings and so we asked a couple weeks ago, we said, hey, if anybody is available, we're taking volunteers. We, we could use a few people to help pull off that event. Well, there was one young lady who signed up, and, and Ray headed all this up. Ray Whitted, who's our outreach director, he headed all this up. And she told Ray, she said, hey, just to let you know, I'm, I speak fluent Spanish, and so, you know, I'll do whatever you want, but if you need me in that capacity, I'm happy to serve. Ray said, Pastor Andrew, yesterday... She hadn't been there that long, and in walks this family, and they speak. It was this lady and her kids, I believe. I might be telling that story a little off. Ray's giving me a thumbs up. 
In walks this lady and her kids. She doesn't speak a word of English. And so this lady was able to take her through that health fair process. What, what am I telling you? I'm telling you that we all have a place. We all have a way to serve. God compares us to a body, and just like our bodies, we each, everything on us plays a role. Everything, every part of our body is important. Bottom line, Jesus values the church. Jesus values the church. Are there churches that are getting it wrong? Yep. There are churches that have become distracted by traditions or money or man-made rules or whatever else. Are there churches that are getting it wrong? Yes. Is the bridge perfect? No. No, we're not perfect. Because we're made up of imperfect people. We can't be perfect. It just hit me how that sounded. We're not perfect because all you guys are here. No, I'm not. Let me, let me clean that up a little bit. Is the bridge perfect? Absolutely not. Because you have a very imperfect leader. And as long as I get the opportunity to remain the pastor here, we won't be perfect. But we're going to try our best to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. We're going to try our best to do what it is that we feel like God is calling us to do in this community and beyond. So does church have some room to grow? or Are we going to let you down sometimes? Probably. We won't mean to. We'll be real sorry for it. And we'll try our hardest not to ever let it happen again. But I'm telling you, Jesus loves the church. Church is, was, and always will be uh, relevant because we have the message of Jesus Christ as our banner and as our rallying cry. And so I want to share something with you. This week, I've been struggling I try to prepare my messages, just to give you a little bit about me, I try to prepare my messages about a week and a half ahead of time. Because what would happen is, I would always prepare a message, preach it, and then the next day I would hear a story that I'm like, oh man, I'm so sad, I can't use that, that would have fit so well. Or, or I find a survey or something, you know. And so, and so I work about a week and a half out. And there are times where... Oh man, God will just drop something in my spirit and, and it's just clear as a bell to me and I write it down. and Within 10 minutes, I've got my whole outline and everything. That happens sometimes. It doesn't happen always like that. It's, but some, most of the time when I'm preparing a sermon, it's more like mining for gold. You know, you go and you work and you're reading the scriptures and you're praying. And then as you continue working and you're in the process, it's like, oh, there's that nugget of gold. And I get it out and I come and I, I have a week and a half just to look at it and think about how I can best present it. And, and then Sunday comes and I'm able to show it to you guys. And sometimes you are like really intrigued by that and I hear a lot of comments and it's like good. And then sometimes it seems like maybe you don't care or you fall asleep and that hurts. Because I've been working for that thing, baby. I've been working. But this particular week, so about a week and a half ago, I'm working on this sermon. And it's like the more I read and the more I prayed and the more I read and the more I prayed, the more lost I felt. 
So I'm just going to be real with you. I started feeling a little bit unsettled. I'm like, okay, I would normally have an outline together. I'd normally have a thought. God would normally have downloaded a little something. If not a nugget, then at least like a speck or something. I have some hope and there's just nothing. And so I kept going. And, and that feeling of unsettledness actually turned into a little bit of anxiousness. Now I'm getting a little bit of anxiety. And I'm like, okay, God, all right, pray and study and study and pray. And I'm going in and nope, nothing. And a few days ago, that anxiety finally turned to frustration. And I'm like, all right, God, Sunday's coming. It is amazing as a pastor how regularly Sundays happen. It's like every seven days. And honestly, sometimes it feels like about every four. And so I'm starting to get a little frustrated. I'm like, God, you got me into this. You got to help me. And then it occurred to me, God spoke to me so clearly in my spirit, not, not audibly, but just in my spirit, I've been hearing all of these success stories, all of these wins, all of these things that God is doing in people's lives. And I would, you know, talk to those people and respond, some of them on messenger or through email, respond, man, wow, praise God, so excited for what God's doing in your life, so excited for the way God's using you. And it hit me. God said, I don't want you to tell them church is relevant. I want you to show them. I want you to show them that I'm still alive and still active and still moving. I want you to show them, tell these stories. And so that's exactly what I want to do today is, is we're going to testify. I'm going to tell you the stories, the real life stories of what's happening in people's lives in this church. Not to brag, but hopefully to build your faith up that if God's doing this in other people's lives, God can do it in mine. And, it's actually really biblical to do this. Jesus is talking in Luke chapter 8. He's just healed a man from demon possession. And look at what he says, Luke eight thirty nine: Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. He started telling everybody, let me tell you about this man named Jesus. Let me tell you what he did for me. And so he started talking. The psalmist in Psalm 71 says this, My mouth will tell of your righteous deeds, of your saving acts all day long, though I know not how to relate them all. I love that line right there. Though I don't even know how to tell people. God, you've been so good to me. You fill my lungs with breath. You give me another day. I am just so blessed in so many ways. I don't even know how to tell people about it. Verse 16, but I'm going to come and proclaim your mighty acts. Sovereign Lord, I will proclaim your righteous deeds, yours alone. So I want to tell you, I want to testify as to what God is doing and has done. The first story I want to share with you is Miss April Hatcher. April is one of the sweetest ladies we have here at the bridge. And uh, she was here on launch Sunday. Sometimes I'll go back and I'll look at those photos and just remember how far God's brought us. April was here on that day, started maturing in the Lord, joined a bridge group, got involved, is out there on the parking lot team. As a matter of fact, uh, if you ever pull up and she was out there today, 
short. April, raise your hand. If you ever see that blonde hair and that smiling face and that Mickey hand, that is April, and she's out there serving. Well, she, was, she serves on another team as well. She serves on our outreach team. And so two weeks ago, uh, she went with our outreach team to Noose Correctional Facility, just a few miles away. It's right in Goldsboro. Houses over 800 women who have been incarcerated. And a couple times a year, a team from our church... There's actually our outreach pastor's wife, Miss Jean. She goes out there every Monday night and does a Bible study with those ladies. But then a few times a year, we go out there and do a big, uh, just service is the best way to put it. And our team serves a meal, and then there's ministry from the stage. And the people that serve the meal, they'll clean up, and then they have the opportunity to go out and pray and talk to the ladies individually. And so it comes to the attention of the stage. One of the guys who's singing, he's singing some gospel music. And they stop everything and they say, we've just found out that one of the ladies here uh, has just received the news that her 13-year-old son has died. So we're going to pray over her. And they asked everybody to extend their hand toward that lady. And they prayed over, over that lady. Let me tell you about God. If you don't know this, April tragically lost her son several years ago God providentially there's no doubt in my I just don't believe in coincidence or happenstance God providentially placed April there on that day here it is Mother's Day weekend April's got every right in the world to stay home blinds down doors closed I'm not talking to anybody but she made it up in her mind, I'm going to be the hands and feet of Jesus, and I'm going to go serve some people. And she went out there, and here this mom is. And it's Mother's Day weekend. And it's hard enough that you're not around your children. But for many of those who are incarcerated, that is the hope. That is the singular hope that they have, is that one day I'm not going to be incarcerated anymore, and I want to do everything I can get to get out of here as quickly as I can so that I can see my kids again. And this mom finds out that day that her son is gone. And it's Mother's Day weekend. And she's not going to be able to go to the funeral. And in the wave of all of that emotion, April was able to go over to her and say, I know what you're feeling. I've been there too. It hurts. Let me talk to you about how God got me through this. Let me talk to you about what God's done in my life. I'm so sorry this happened. I don't know why. But I promise you, if you lean on Jesus, you can make it through. Guys, the church is still relevant today because God can providentially place us where we need to be. And when we need comfort and we need compassion and we need people to come around us, we can have those people because God will put them there. Now that lady, she may not remember the name of our church. She may not remember April's name. But I promise you, she's glad that the church was the church on that day. Because she had someone to pour her heart out to. She had someone to pray with her. What am I telling you? I'm telling you that the church is still relevant. When we will submit ourselves to Jesus and when we will serve and when we will be his hands and feet. And so the next story I want to share with you is from Miss Ruby Lutze. 
Ruby Lutze, and I'm just going to read it to you. Uh, it is a little bit longer, but guys, just, just stay with me. <clears throat> These are her words. On September of 2016, I was diagnosed with bipolar 1 disorder. As you already know, I went through a crisis at the beginning of 2017 that rocked my world and changed my life. I had never experienced a darker time in my life. I had never understood why people would not want to live. Life is so full and full of wonderful things and people and experiences. I had always seen the world through a pink pair of glasses. Even while I was going through an abusive marriage, I was still able to see the silver lining in that relationship. This time, life was so dark. I could barely see beyond my own nose. I can describe it as a gray cloud overhead every second of the day. I couldn't find joy in things I used to such as my work, my relationship with my family, my girls, Mark, which is her husband, nature, God's love, and singing. I couldn't find joy in any of those things. The enemy had clouded my vision and soul with depression. I sunk so deep that death seemed to be the only way out from the pain and suffering I experienced day in and day out. I started questioning my beliefs. I often wondered about heaven and hell. I even questioned God's love and his intentions for us. I couldn't understand why I had sunk down so deep. I loved people. I served. I went the extra mile at work. I loved my girls with everything I had, and I was raising them the way that they should go. Why, God? That was the question. Why do I want to die? Why did you take Casey? And she's talking about Casey Swartz here. She's a young lady in her mid-30s who passed away from cancer. Why did you take Casey and not me? Why did you take Cindy and not me? Cindy Core, who we all know and love. Why did you take these people and not me? They both wanted to live. My depression continued throughout my pregnancy. It actually got worse. After I gave birth to Sarah, I succumbed into depression full force. The bipolar disorder and postpartum depression collided, and I went into a crisis. This time was different. Thoughts of suicide flooded my mind day and night. I remember going to Sarah's one-month checkup, and at that checkup, the, we asked the doctor about her eye color, and he said that we would have to wait until she was about six months We would have to wait until she was about six months or so because during the first few months, it changes. I was so sad because I didn't think I was going to make it to see Sarah turn six months. <clears throat> Thankfully, I was hospitalized once more and they were able to stabilize me. And I was able to go back home. I was terrified that at some point I would attempt against my life. Simple tasks such as changing Sarah's clothes or changing my own clothes were exhausting. My voice was taken away by depression. What do I mean by that? I was not able to sing. I was not able to worship God with the gift he had given me. And that made matters worse. But listen to this. Here's where it all turns around. 
On August of 2018, we were having the night of worship, just like we had this past Friday. We were having the night of worship. Andrea Tolchard invited me to go, to which I hesitantly accepted. Andrea Tolchard was not only her friend, but she was someone who she was in a bridge group with. Guys, when we talk about the importance of bridge groups, that's it. It's not that you're going through something right now, but you may. And when you do, you want people around you. She said, Andrea Tolchard invited me to go, to which I hesitantly accepted. Mark pretty much forced me to go. John Mark. I was trying to worship, but it was hard as my voice was not the same. The depression had affected my voice and I was not able to sing freely as I used to. I remember singing Sons and Daughters. That's a song that we sing here at the church. She said, I could relate to the song because the song is actually about depression. I think it was Pastor Gage that started talking about healing and I was so hesitant to even believe that I could be healed. When I was about 25, I prayed for a man that had cancer and believing with all that I had that he was going to be healed. I was 100% sure he was going to be healed. Well, that wasn't the case. Cancer took his life. Since that day, I was marked. So my faith in God being the healer was just not there. But that night, at night of worship, I remember the father. I remembered the father that asked Jesus to heal his child. And he said to Jesus, so this is in scripture. The father said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. His father, I want to believe. God, I need you to help me. I believe. Help my unbelief. She said, I kept on repeating it over and over again. They made the call to go to the altar for people that wanted healing. So I went. One of the elders was standing there. So I went to him and told him that I, was, that I had been diagnosed bipolar and that I wanted God to heal my depression. I don't remember exactly what he prayed, but it was a very simple prayer. I cried and headed home. Listen to this. From that day forward, I started making strides. I was able to focus on things. I started enjoying life more and more. I was able to see a sunset and thank God for painting the sky for me. I was able to finally enjoy my Sarah Beth. Simple tasks no longer haunted me. My voice eventually came back and I was able to join the worship team again. A few weeks ago, she sang a solo. Then a couple weeks ago, she was part of the, the praise team that was up here on the stage. She said, I joined the worship team again. I'm volunteering with Kids Church, which she's actually, they're skipping out on today to be in here, but it's an excused absence. She said, and I became a group leader at Mops. I went from not wanting to live to living life to the fullest. The only difference between the dark cloud and living a full life was the person and work of Jesus. Jesus healed her that night. Guys, I'm telling you, if you've ever lived through anything like that, you know. But when we're going through the storms of life, we sometimes forget. It's, it's easy to let doubt creep in. It's easy to let fear and unbelief take the reins. It's, it becomes a struggle. 
the, both of these ladies found healing and purpose and joy through the person and work of Jesus Christ. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to end this service today. I'm going to pray a brief prayer, and then I'm going to dismiss you. And if you're a first-time guest and you're just not real sure, uh, I, you can go to the VIP table, and, and if you need to go, you are dismissed after I pray this prayer. But guys, there are people in here. God's tugging at your heart right now. And you need to come down front, and we're going to have extra prayer team people, and we are going to pray. You say, well, Pastor Andrew, I don't know about that. I'll just pray at home. Listen to the scripture, Matthew 18, 19. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by the Father in heaven. There is power in agreement. There is power in joining our faith together and praying. And so I want to ask you, we want to pray with you and for you. For some of you, that prayer might be for salvation. Maybe you need to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. For some of you, it might be for healing physically or relationally, emotionally. For some of you, you've lost friends, you've lost loved ones, you've had pain in your life, and you need to pray that God would restore your joy. I believe there are people here in this place, you've been trying to live the Christian life by yourself. And through grit and willpower, you've, you've managed to make it as far as you are. But I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit will help you. And so we're going to pray. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we want to pray for that. He will help you live out this Christian life. He will empower you to do that. So again, I'm going to pray. You'll be dismissed. The prayer team's going to come down. And I just want to encourage you. Don't leave this place if you know you need to come pray. And maybe it's not even for you. Maybe it's for somebody else. And you need to stand in the gap. And we need to pray a prayer of intercession. We're going to pray this morning. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you, God, that church is still relevant, that you are still alive and active and moving. Thank you, God, that these stories are just the tip of the iceberg, that, that you have been active in Mount Olive. And for so many of us, it's, it's easy to go from day to day, and, and we don't necessarily see the differences being made. We don't necessarily see your handiwork. But then we hear stories like this, and we hear the testimony of other believers, and we're like, oh, it's so clear, God, you're alive and you're active. Just like you were in the New Testament, healing blinded eyes, making the lame to walk. God, it's the same God. We're praying to the same God and the same power that was at work in Jesus Christ is at work in us today. And so God, I want to pray even now. I pray for boldness for those people who know they need prayer. I pray, God, that in advance, even before we utter the first word, that you would hear these prayers and that you would move. I think about that third song we sang, Lord, I need you. I need you. There is nothing self-sufficient or self-reliant about me. God, I need you. I'm nothing without you. And so, God, we just submit all of who we are today to you. Thank you for meeting us here. Thank you for how you're using us and how you will use us in the days ahead. I pray all these things in Jesus' name.
Amen.